The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What would it take for you to sit down and feast on an animal that had been mutilated by alien hands? And then we traveled to Florida to take a look at a family who has a decision to make. Do they move away from their new home or do they take matters into their own hands when they realize a Bigfoot wants their kids? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world doing whatever you're doing. We got a ton of stuff to cover today, so we're going to invite into Dead Rabbit Command, holding a pistol in each hand. Very unsafe. Very, very unsafe man. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for one of our newest Patreon supporters. Stay strapped. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Wee's jumping around like it was Sammy Sam. Shooting, shooting everywhere. Stay strapped. You're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. If you're not gun-wielding maniacs, I get it. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. We're going to toss Stay Strapped the keys to the... Dead Rabbit Dirigible, everyone climb on inside. We're going to glide out of Dead Rabbit Command and float all the way down to Chile. (laughs) Such a romantic sound. What a way to explore the world in the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're headed all the way out to Chile. Specifically, we're headed out to a region between San Pedro and San Pablo, Chile. The year is 1970, so get your bell-bottoms ready. Probably should have told you that back. <laughs> Jason, I don't have anything to wear. I'm in a dirigible, 30,000 feet in the air. Eh, we got something. We'll figure it out. It's 1970. It's late afternoon. And we're about to meet this young family. They live in a rural community out in the country. There are these two young sisters. We're going to give them the names Veronica and Lisa. They're out there, and they're tending some cattle near a stream. So you got these cows walking around, drinking up some stream water, and these two these two kids are bored out of their mind. I mean, you can guarantee that they're not really doing their job. They probably got sticks in their hands to, like, hit the cows to keep them in order. But for the most part, they're probably just chilling. And to, there's probably not a lot to do in the middle of the country. Probably not a lot to do out there. Anyways, like, you... You're bored in cows. What are you going to do? Look at clouds or count squirrels? There's not a lot. But they're doing their best. They're out there watching these cows walk around and be like, oh my god. Well, luckily for them, life's about to get really exciting because they begin to see something gliding over the ground. They said it was moving so fast they could barely catch sight of it. 
And it was so close to the ground that as it was flying over the dirt, it was kicking up dust behind it. You think like Roadrunner, maybe. But they see this, and they said it was moving so fast they couldn't see any details. The only thing they could really make out was that it was small. But no exact dimensions are given. The next morning, Veronica, Lisa, and their father, they wake up. They wake up, not like they had lost time or anything like that. They did bring the cows back home, and they had dinner. And it doesn't specifically say the mom woke up, but I'm sure that she was there. They probably just had a normal day. Well, the next day, though, when Veronica, Lisa, and their dad woke up, they go out into the field, and they see they had a bunch of llamas. They had a bunch of llamas out in the field. They didn't take them to the stream. They didn't earn a field trip like the cows did, but the llamas are out in the field. The morning after the, uh, the two girls saw this object flying close over the ground, ten llamas were dead. But it wasn't just the fact that there were ten llamas dead, which is grisly enough. All ten of the llamas were also pregnant at the time. <laughs> wow, Jason, thanks for that depressing detail. Ten pregnant llamas dead in a field. According to the report, they were all completely drained of blood. So this falls right into the category of what we call a cattle mutilation but really, that's a bit of a misnomer because all sorts of domestic animals are found in this fashion. I think the reason why we attribute it mostly to cattle was because that was the first big stories that came up was the cattle. If you walked out into your yard and you saw a dead chicken, you're not going to break out the autopsy kit to figure out what killed it. I mean, maybe if there was 50 of them, you might. But if you just saw that chicken, you'd go, ah, someone must have got it, got a hold of that thing. Throw it in the dumpster or something like that. And a wolf must have ate it. But if you, I mean, it doesn't have any bite marks, you'd be a little suspicious. Don't get me wrong. But cattle, you know, if you have a cow, a dead cow, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So you're going to want to figure out what killed it. You're going to be quite mad that one of your cows died. I think that's usually why it's called cattle mutilation. And you imagine how many times, like, if you're walking through the forest, you see a dead fox in the bushes. You're definitely not going to do an autopsy on that. These mutilations could be taking place in all sorts of environments against all sorts of animals that we don't notice. There have been one or two cases, really more. The case in Peru, most recently, of human alien mutilations. I'll put some of those episodes in the show notes. But anyways, if you live in... Oregon. I live in Oregon. If you live in Oregon and you have a farm and you have 50 cows and you came out and three of them were dead and you find out they were drained of blood and their soft organs were missing, you're going to be mad. You've just lost a sizable investment. You're going to be mad, but then you go, okay, girls, let's go to... to he's talking to his children, not the other cows. He goes, hey, two girls, my two daughters here in Oregon. This sucks. We'll have to figure out what happened, but let's head on down to Dairy Queen. Eat ourselves some delicious burgers. You probably wouldn't eat a burger right afterwards. No, you would go, you know what, this sucks. We're going to lose some money because of this, but let's go grab something to eat. Nothing cheers me up like a good old Oreo blizzard. (laughs) Dad, you have crippling diabetes, but sure. It's 1970s in a rural community up in Chile. You're like... Yeah, we lost a lot of money when all these llamas died. We also need to eat. Like, there's no Terry Queens around here. This was also our food source. So the dad goes, well, these 
Pregnant llamas are already dead. So let's eat them. That's that's a good use. Of, that's a good use of resources, right? We don't want him to go to waste. He's putting his bib on. Mm-mm-mm. They're like, Dad, don't eat him here. Take it home and cook it. So they did. His dad brings this llama back into the house, and he prepares it, chops it up, and they all sit down. <laughs> all sit down for a meal of alien mutilated llama. They make this meat, and they tried eating it. But they couldn't. Not because it was too tough. Not because there's like laser scorch marks in it. Apparently, the meat was so disgusting that they had to throw it out. And so they're like, okay, we're going to try these. Like, well, maybe the other nine llamas will be delicious. They're like, dad, dad, no, please. This one was gross. Later on, as vultures began to circle the area... The family watches these vultures would land and began to eat these dead llamas. They're pulling away at the tender, rotting flesh of these llamas. The vultures begin to violently vomit. And then they realize that this was disgusting. This is horrible. Not even a vulture could eat it. And the vultures left the bodies to simply rot in the sun. I found this story on thinkaboutitdocs.com, one of my favorite UFO resources. They got it from the Kalama UFO Center, which I'm assuming is a South American UFO group. I'm sure with some of the cows that have been found mutilated in the United States in the past couple decades, I'm sure people have tried eating them. I'm sure people have, have seen a animal and said, this looks like it has all the hallmarks of alien hands mutilating this animal. Sucked all the blood out, cut them open, removed all of the fleshy, soft organs, left the carcass that looks like it might have been brought aboard some sort of alien vessel, experimented on, and then dropped back off. In the middle of this field, I think an alien did this. <laughs> and as they're saying that, they're putting on a bib. They're putting on a bib with a little NASA logo on it. I'm sure that people have tried eating alien mutilated, cattle mutilated by aliens. Because why not? It's part of the scientific method, right? <laughs> Isn't that this hypothesis? Solution? And digestion. At the end of each scientific experiment, they're like, oh man, why was I a chemist? You're all drinking all this acid. Ah, it burns, it burns. As the rest of your nerdy friends are taking notes, they're like, <laughs> they're like, note, it burns. I'm sure that some researchers have eaten it. I'm sure if you asked a lot of people who are into UFOlogy, I, basically, basically, I'm saying a long way, I would eat it. <laughs> You're like, Jason, just get to the point. You want to eat it. Nobody else. Nobody else would ever eat this. If you had, it would be the most exotic meat. It would be something so few of humans could actually ever have. Like, I'm sure Bill Gates can eat all that rich people food, tarts and berries. <laughs> he can afford berries, right? He can eat all this stuff made by expert hands. They put like a seashell down and then cover it in a little bit of like leaf from some Guatemalan forest. And then they take the earlobe of a lamb that's seared just right, and they'll take a bite of it, and they'll be like, wow, this was delicious, and I'm so full. (laughs) As they're waiting to go to Dairy Queen after this fancy meal, they're like, I just need a blizzard. They can afford all that rich people food, 
But if I walked into one of these rich, fancy parties and everyone has like monocles, everyone has monocles and fancy dresses and stuff like that with a bag of beef jerky, I have on a cowboy hat, I have a, a sleeveless shirt, I look like Garth Brooks. I'm walking in and I have a bag of jerky and I'm all arm, arm. And they're like, no, 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 you have to like eat this while I listen to the harp play. It makes it taste better. And I'm like kicking over the harp. I'm like, all this stuff is dumb, rich people. Everyone pay attention to me. I have a bag of beef jerky and every delicious <laughs> vomiting <laughs> as in between my speech I'm turning to vomit in the corner. <laughs> I go, this delicious bag of beef jerky is made from cows that have been mutilated by aliens. <laughs> You're like, Jason, maybe stop using the word mutilated. <laughs> You're trying to sell your new food brand. I have this bag of beef jerky. I go, I have 16 ounces of beef jerky. You know how hard it is to get a hold of this stuff? You know how? Because there's not a lot of cows that are getting mutilated. I have this bag of beef jerky. It's only 16 ounces on the planet. Nom, 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 nom. I'm eating in my eyes. <laughs> my eyes are bleeding. I'm levitating four feet off the ground. I'm like, mmm, so delicious. Throw up a little bit more. This would be the most exclusive food on the planet. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, it could cause uncontrollable vomiting. It apparently gives you alien powers. I just threw that in at the ending there. I'm eating this. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, it makes vultures, the creature that can eat literally rotting flesh, throw up. But it's exclusive. It's exclusive. And I would argue that... Actually, now I have a new argument. Not only am I arguing that some people ate it because they were poor and they couldn't afford anything else and they got violently ill. I'm sure researchers have eaten it and gotten violently ill. But I also bet because it's so rare, you could sell it. Think about it. It's far in the world of the rich and famous and the world of conspiracy. Aliens mutilating cattle, like being able to eat that meat, would be more rare than adrenochrome. I'm like, get out of here. I'm kicking over bottles of adrenochrome. Hillary Clinton's like, no. I go, this beef jerky is way more rare than all of that stuff. And I'm going to sell you guys. <laughs> it's a Jack Link's bag. <laughs> it's just a regular bag of beef jerky. I just put a picture of an alien face on it. I'm running some big scam. They're like, dude, we can see the scotch tape. I go, no, that's alien scotch tape. Holding the label that I made on my home printer. Here. It's alien beef jerky. Beef jerky made not by not from aliens. That would actually be even more of a delicacy and more rare. But beef jerky made from a mutilated animal. And you could probably sell it if you had access to this. If you if you ever come out onto your farm and you find that one of your cows has been mutilated by aliens and had all of its blood sucked out and it's missing its eyeballs and its tongues and its sexual organs, don't be sad. Don't be sad. What I would do is I'd be like, okay, boys, get the Sultan booth ready or whatever it's called, wherever they make beef jerky. Get the jerky tent ready, boys. We're about to be millionaires. And then I would carry that cow. I'd do it myself because I'm so strong. I'd get that cow into the jerky tent and cover it with salt or whatever they do to make beef jerky and just leave it there for a while. And then <laughs> it's like two hours. I'm like, it's ready, right? Om, nom, nom. I'm just eating this. Actually, now the thing about it, yeah, maybe they should have jerked it. Maybe the fact is that they were trying to just cook it in a stove. That's too low tech for this type of meat. You make all this beef jerky out of all this cow, 
all the re rotting remains of this cow. Who knows? You could be a millionaire. I bet that someone would pay a lot of money to have such a delicacy. I keep using the word delicacy. What I mean is it's rare. I'm not saying it's delicious. But I imagine a lot of rich people eat stuff that's gross. And then because everyone else in their circle thinks that it's delicious, they go, oh, yeah, this is <laughs> going to anaphylactic shock. They're like, oh, I'm allergic to shellfish, but I want to be cool. I think you could, I think you could really uh, start this side hustle of the most rare meat in the world. Move over whatever that beef, Wagyu beef. Move over Wagyu beef in Japan. Move over lamb guts in France. Get out of the way, escargot farm in Belgium. It's time to eat some alien mutilated meat. If you guys make money from that, I want a piece. I'm not asking for a piece of your money. I don't want a piece of the profits. I want a delicious, delicious piece of your beef jerky. Stay strapped. Let's go ahead and touch the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Chile. Fly us all the way out to Florida. It's October 2004. We're about to visit this small town known as Wiwahichaca. Wiwahichaca. It is a small town on the panhandle of Florida. It's a forested region. For millions of years, was nothing but wilderness. And then slowly, mankind encroached. Chopped down a couple trees. Put a house up. Put up another house, and so on and so forth. As humanity spreads its glorious wings across the planet, everything's a trade-off. You need a house, you need land to put it on. Eventually, we keep living deeper and deeper into these wooded areas. And we're about to meet this young kid. I say kid. He's 14 years old. We don't have his name. We're going to call him Alex. And he goes, listen, we're living out in the middle of nowhere. And that whole thing about Jason said about cutting down trees to build houses, we didn't even have that. We lived in a single wide trailer. It's like a mobile home, if you're not familiar with that term. A single wide trailer with his family. You had mom, dad, Alex, and a five-year-old boy named Tony. Who's his brother? It's not just some random kid they found. Anyways, they moved out of the city because his dad had opened a business in this town and were now living in this single wide trailer on this land. Now, they'd actually been there for a while. Alex had heard stories growing up from his neighbors and from his classmates about the monster. Hey, Alex, Alex, how was math class yesterday? It was pretty good. It got a lot of addition done. Oh, cool, man. Hey, did you <laughs> got some insane friends? This is a good segue. Ah, speaking of addition, have you heard about that new addition to our community? The monster. He's like, what? Alex is hanging out at the local yogurt shop. Alex, what would you like on your yogurt? Uh, I'll just take some sprinkles. Hmm, sprinkles. Just like the monster likes to sprinkle the remains of his victims all over the land. Alex is like, huh? Everyone was talking about this monster. It wasn't a daily thing. It wasn't like this thing was constantly... <laughs> the monster. People in town knew about the monster, though. And he was described as just being this massive creature that walked on two legs and had a habit of stealing livestock. We talked a little bit about this on yesterday's episode, but it are, this is a Bigfoot. If you haven't figured it out, you're like, oh, I wonder what this is. The name of the episode. Walks on two legs. It's huge. 
are Bigfoots or Sasquatches interdimensional has always been my theory, or is it a biological entity that has to eat and has to migrate and has to move in a given community? This kind of falls into the biological category because what happens is this monster had been around for a while, and at first it was eating livestock on the outskirts of the town. But as the town continued to grow, now it's eating pets. People who never had 10 heads of cattle now have a house deeper into this forested area and poor old Billy the puppy disappeared one night. And so the monster was blamed for all of this. Well, one night, Alex and his dad are up late watching television and Alex has to go to the bathroom. It's pretty late. His brother Tony's supposed to be in bed. But he's not. Alex gets up to go to the bathroom and then walks into the bedroom. He shares with his little brother, and Tony's just standing there crying. And Alex goes, dude, you gotta go to bed before dad finds you awake. Like, you're supposed to be sleeping right now. In between sobs, Tony is able to mutter out, There's a man looking at me through the window. Now Alex kind of looks up, and he sees a pair of glowing yellow eyes staring in. Alex instinctively grabs Tony and runs out of the room into the living area, and he's flipping out, right? And what would you think in that moment? Well, all the stories of the monster, they really fall out of your head. You're going to think the worst. You're going to think a pervert. Some dude was perving on your little brother, and that's exactly what he tells his dad. He runs out in the living room and goes, Dad, Dad, there's some pervert. There's some pervert who was staring at Tony. And at that point, when Alex picked up Tony and ran in the living room, it's not a pervert. Well, it might be a perverted Bigfoot. We don't know, but it followed them. It was still outside the house, but at this point, when Alex was explaining to the dad what had happened, they realized that this figure is now standing outside the living room window. And this is when Alex got a good look at this thing. He said it was massive. He said the thing had to be at least nine feet tall. This massive monster standing outside the trailer. He said the thing had to be nine feet tall with a massive head, which reminded Alex a lot of a Neanderthal. Jutting, sloped forehead, jaw, a little protruding out from the skull. Looked like a massive caveman was standing there. It was covered in long, brown, dirty hair. And it had this massive chest. Just the width of the thing. It wasn't that it was just tall and lanky. I mean, this just looked like raw muscular primal power and the only thing separating it from this family is this window and really the not super strong walls of the entire trailer the dad knows what to do everyone's very good on acting on their instincts in this story in fact when alex said hey dad dad there's a pervert staring at tony 
The dad was already out of his seat. He wasn't like, oh, let's see what's on this rerun of Night Court before I address this. He's already out of his seat. He's already in motion when he thought there was just a human standing outside of the house. When the monster finally makes its presence known, the dad had already run into a kitchen and retrieved a forty-four Magnum, which he kept in the kitchen. He comes out with the forty-four Magnum, leaves the safety of the trailer, or the relative safety of the trailer, runs outside into the darkness, and Alex and Tony begin to hear a... As the dad just opened fire on this nine-foot-tall Neanderthal that was lurking in the darkness. The creature, the Bigfoot, takes off running into the thickness of the forest. Dad comes back in, and he... The mom... This Obviously, the mom's woken up at this point. Dad comes back into the trailer and says, Don't call anyone. Don't call the police. I don't even know what that was. So I wouldn't even know how to report it. We're not going to be the people in town who saw a monster outside their trailer. Just, I'll take care of it. And at that point, the mom said, I don't care what you have to do. But tomorrow, I want all of the nearby trees cut down. I don't want to be living this close to all of these trees. I don't want to be living this close to the forest. And um, she made it clear, nothing taller than you, she points to the father, nothing taller than the dad would be allowed to stay near the house. And the dad's like, yeah, I'll take care of it. Because they had all heard stories of the monster. This is their first encounter with it. But they did not want there to be a second encounter, which is fair enough. If it was just kind of walking through the yard, it might have just been a scary sight. But it was staring in at their five-year-old boy. So the next day, Alex said, he said, my dad called in every favor he had. And all of his friends came over with their equipment and they just began cutting down trees. They were just clearing out this swath. So the single wide trailer just wasn't surrounded by the unique darkness that only a forest can create. And so they did. They came out and they're cutting down all the trees. And some of Alex's friends come over as well. And they're hanging out with him and he's telling them what happened. Yeah, yesterday... Last night, we saw the monster. He was outside Tony's room, and my dad shot at it and all that stuff. And everyone's just kind of hanging out. Well, the mom has to leave. She has to, go buy, she has to go buy curtains, which, again, is a very good option, right? It's not really going to protect a furry fist from bursting through, but it will keep people from looking inside of all of your rooms. And she tells the boys, she tells Alex and Tony and their friends, Stay out of the woods. You are not allowed to go into the forest anymore. And the day kind of goes on and everyone's just kind of hanging out. Well, the, guy, the men are working. The, the boys are just kind of hanging out. And at one point, Alex sees his dad spraying down the side of the double white. Washing it off with a hose. And he said, Alex. Alex, take a look at this. Come here motions for Alex and the boys to come over and he points to where there is dark crimson turning to pink liquid as the water's hitting it he's spraying blood off the side of his trailer he goes I I hit it and this is his blood I'm washing off the side of our home crazy stuff but all these events are still going on the 
dad's friends are cutting down the trees. Alex's friends are hanging out. And they go, you know what we should do? You know what would actually be really cool? My dad shot it. That means it's wounded. That means it's hurt. That means it's leaving a trail. Let's go find this thing. Boys are like, okay, let's do this. Alex has a gun. His friends go home to get their guns, and they come back with guns and machetes, and they're doing this pretty pretty on the down low because they don't want any of the adults to find out, and they start looking around the property, and they do see a trail of blood. So they decide to follow it. While all the adults are busy, not looking, drinking, whatever, they sneak out into the woods. And Alex says, we walked for a couple hours trying to track this thing. We'd lose it for a bit and then have to find the trail again, but it's still bleeding out. How much? Like, is this a steady stream of blood? Is this thing going to be dead when we find it? Or is it just some sort of flesh wound? We don't know. There's a lot of blood, but over distances. It's not like giant giant puddles of blood. They're tracking it. Eventually, as they get deeper into the forest, they see something. They come across a crudely built shelter in the middle of nowhere. Just then, the kids hear somewhere off, far in the forest. A weird scream echoes through the woods, and they're like, this has officially crossed the line from Scooby-Dooing this afternoon to possibly becoming an it scenario. Let's get out of here before we're all killed. And so... The kids start heading back into the woods, and they're walking for a while, and they start to hear a rustling ahead of them. And they're like, uh, this isn't going to turn out well. But luckily, accompanying that rustling is a, Alex! Alex, where are you? Because what happened was, back at home, the dad and the friends had heard this insane scream come through the forest. And they realized all the kids were missing. They realized that Alex and his friends were gone. So they got their guns and they headed off into the woods. And because they weren't simply trying to slowly and carefully follow a blood trail, they just blaze a path right through the woods, make a beeline for where they hope the kids are, right? They're just looking for them. They don't know where their kids are. They just heard this crazy scream. At this point, Alex goes, Dad, yeah, no, we found a blood trail and we followed it and we found this really creepy structure out out over there somewhere, out over there. It looks like someone just cobbled together some pieces of woods and logs and stuff like that, but uh, we decided to turn around after we heard the screaming and the dad goes, take us back. (laughs) And now it's getting scary, right? Dad says, you got to show us where the shelter is. So the boys lead the men back into the woods and they see this shelter. Again, it's this crudely built little structure in the woods. And the men begin to destroy it. Some of them had brought along their axes as well as their firearms. They begin to chop up and destroy the structure. And after it's been raised, Alex's dad whips it out. I'm talking about his pistol. Well, the pistol he was born with. Pulls out good old reliable Willie and begins peeing all over the structure. Everyone's just standing around. They're like, what? What's going on? And he explained, he goes, listen, I'm marking my territory. 
I'm letting whatever this thing is know that this is our land. Plus, I, plus I have prior convictions for exhibitionism, but that's neither here nor there. I'm peeing on the structure to mark my territory. We got to get out of here, though. This isn't safe. Where we're at right now isn't safe. We're in its territory now, despite my pee. Saying the obvious, really, this is his hunting grounds. And they begin to head on back. And as they're walking through the woods, Alex and his friends are just kind of looking straight ahead, you know, probably hitting branches away with sticks. And, you know, a fun adventure, right? They're not bored. They're not as bored as the kids in the first story. I mean, they also are possibly going to get murdered at any point. That'll get the adrenaline pumping. But they kind of walk through the woods and the men are following behind them, walking alongside them as well, protecting these Precious little lives. They're closer to home now. (laughs) Another scream emanates through the forest. They're nearing the edge of the forest. Another raged-filled howl echoes, but this time, it's closer. Dad orders the children to make a run for it. They're close enough that maybe, maybe they can clear that tree line. Alex, boys, run! Alex said they had just taken a couple steps. They just started to start to sprint when all of a sudden they hear an eruption of gunfire from behind them. Alex turns around and he sees his father and all of his father's friends opening fire at something in the forest. And then there's silence. Dad turns back to the boys who hadn't run that far. And he tells them, go home. Go quick. Get some shovels. And don't tell anyone about what happened out here. And the boys do. They go back, they get the shovels. They make their way back into the woods. And that is when they see the men standing around the body of Bigfoot. Alex said, listen, I got a good look at it. You could argue all you want about glowing eyes in the window or seeing something in the darkness outside. The excited imagination of a child afraid of the dark. You can say all that stuff, but I'm standing there surrounded by my friends and a bunch of adults, and we're looking down at the dead body of a Sasquatch. He goes, and it was as massive as it looked in the window. There was no exaggeration. In fact, I might have under-exaggerated some stuff. He goes, this thing was so huge. It clearly was nine feet tall. But what was so... like This is something you don't really even hear about in Bigfoot reports. A lot of times it is the size, the height of the beast, and the size of its feet. He says this creature, it's from shoulder to shoulder, was so wide. He goes, I couldn't have jumped over it. If I was just standing there and tried to leap from one side to the other, I wouldn't have made it. It was that wide. 
running jump, possibly, right? They wanted to perform these experiments. But he goes, it was so huge. And not just height-wise. The pure mass of this thing. And and really, that is the biggest report I've ever heard of a Sasquatch-type character. of, of Because you figure, what what would you think that would be? Five, six feet wide? To not be able to do a standing leap over it? From shoulder to shoulder? I mean, I'm close to six feet. I'm five foot eleven, and people couldn't jump over me again. I don't want them to try. They're like, can we do it again? My ribs are all broken. I'm like, no, science is over for today. And this thing would be as wide as I am tall. He goes, it's face that I saw as a Neanderthal face in the window that night. There's nothing left of that. <laughs> my dad and his friends blew its face to bits. Its arms were as big as my dad's legs. This is a crazy this is a crazy description. The size of this thing. He said the fingers on this creature, the fingers, each were as wide as a Coke can. Dude. I mean, that's just the raw power. The raw physical power of something like this. He said the feet lived up to its name. If you want to call it a Bigfoot, he goes, This thing's feet were longer than a shotgun barrel. <laughs> now you're just describing Paul Bunyan, okay? But um, is massive. This w- if this is a true story, and again, a lot of these stories are just you know this Alex's story. There are multiple witnesses, but no one else has come forward on this. This would be the biggest one on record. This is close to not being. Now I just realized this. This is close to crossing the bridge from Bigfoot, Sasquatch to Nephilim. The children of angels and human women who were described as giants. And there's been sightings of these guys all over the world. Some more reliable than others. I'll put some of those episodes in the show notes. But that's what we'd be looking at here. It would almost fall more into that realm. Because a Bigfoot is normally not this big. He said that we buried it. We buried it right where it died. There's no way they're going to move this thing, right? They buried it in the forest, not too far away from where everyone lived. Remember, they were getting closer to town. They buried it, and they went back home and told mom what happened, but left out a couple of key details. Mainly that it was just a bear. There was a big bear out in those woods. And dad goes, yeah, the night that it was outside the house, I shot it and I wounded it. And I had to wash the blood off the side of the trailer. Me and the men went out and we had to put it out of its misery. Once we realized that we had wounded it, we realized we wounded a bear. and had to put it down. And what I thought was a particularly creepy detail, because obviously Alex learns more afterwards. But just to show the level of violence, the the... Remember this story? It started off with the creature and encro- the humans had encroached on its land. This thing had been there for a while, and as people were cutting out more of the forest and putting trailers and homes and businesses, it was breaking into its land. So first, it was eating the livestock. It could have just originally eaten woodland animals. Now it's eating livestock. Now it's eating pets. 
as people are getting further and further into its territory. And then the boys go out on an adventure. They arm themselves and walk through the woods trying to find this thing. And, and, and what would have happened had they stumbled across it? It would have completely ripped them to shreds. They can have all the machetes and shotguns that they want. But it would have ripped them to shreds. But they didn't know that. They knew that there was a monster out there. They still went out there and, you know, points for bravery, but also deduct points for stupidity. Because here's the thing, as the boys are walking through the woods and their eyes were looking down on the ground, trying to follow this blood trail, they find the shelter. They start headed back home because they hear that creepy yell and they run into the adults and the adults are like, just stay close to us. We're going back home. There were points in the forest where had any of these boys looked up, they would have realized what they were up against. Because Alex learned later that as they were making their way back home, before they killed this thing, as they were all moving as a one single group, the adults and the kids back home, the adults were seen hanging from the trees. The decaying carcasses of animals. Deer and dogs. Rotting high up in the branches. A quick snack that this monster could nibble on. While awaiting its next full meal. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.